This episode was recorded live at The Front in Park City, Utah. Front is a product conference for user experience designers and product managers consisting of two complementary annual events. One, a case study conference, and two, a product bootcamp. Front's vision is to provide answers to deep organizational questions and insights into how to validate and solve the right problems in the right way. Check them out at frontutah.com. And so one thing that you tend to see, though, is you tend to see the companies structuring themselves around what they call a product, which might be mobile or one of the touch points or yeah. one of the interfaces, because that's a very convenient way to structure the company. Yeah. But what you start to lose there is this whole idea of connecting with actors and their goals. Hello and welcome to We Need Another Meeting. I am Josh Tolmanson. Next to me is good friend and fellow product manager, Mr. Kyle Jacobson. Hi, everybody. We are recording this episode from the front at Park City. Actually, we are in the Utah Olympic Park facility. Uh, it's a really fantastic facility, and that's why you're going to hear a lot of background noise today. So yep. enjoy that. We've got John Cutler joining us. John is formerly product manager at Pendo, Zendesk, UX researcher at Appfolio. It's the world's most prolific product blogger on Medium. <laughs> There's absolutely no doubt. Love, I love quantity, all the stuff on quantity. Medium. Quantity. <laughs> <laughs> John, thank you for joining us, and welcome to We Need Another Meeting. Great, I'm happy to be here. So let's start with your blog. Why, why did you get started? Like, you publish an article, it seems like, every single day. Why did you get started doing this, and what has it done for your career? Oh, it's, you know, why did I start doing it? I, I think I actually just use it to kind of work through what I'm thinking about on any particular day. So there was never any, I mean, I remember when seeing, you know, maybe a hundred people checked out an article and I thought that was the best thing ever. And so it was kind of my way to, I I worked through things by writing about them and drawing. So I draw and write and I sort of sketch note myself and I put things together. And so I kind of um, just started doing that. And it's, I think it's near, it's nearing 300 posts at the yeah. moment and maybe around 300,000 words too. So it's a lot of stuff up there. It's too much actually. So I um, I forget that I've written posts and then I've actually gotten <laughs> through with writing a post and I'm like, you know, this is this is like post number 114 and post seven yeah. and post 242. So yeah, I apologize for that. But you know, it, it actually, so it's helped me mostly by helping me sort of form my thoughts. I mean, there, there are, as more people have checked it out uh, I've had kind of an awesome opportunity to travel and do some talks because people find you on medium people and find me like, on medium hey, we want to we want to bring and John it's in. it's very rewarding to find out that maybe like one post was passed around on slack or you know nice. and, and actually had some impact inside of, and I've, I've heard that you know even from sea level folks occasionally like I don't know who you are. You know, we'll get in touch finally and say, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. I know what your, who your company is. And they say, well, you know, that was a really meaningful post. So, um, yeah, it helps me work through my own stuff. And then it's kind of just gotten a life of its own at the, at the moment. And uh, people refer, I mean, I get certain posts. I get messages almost every week or a couple times a week about certain posts. And uh, That's cool. I kind of roll with it. <laughs> and and do, do people ask you... Um, how you got started like that was I get this so I've, yeah. I've done I've written like maybe 20 posts maybe yeah. max right uh, which is nothing 
but then I get a lot of people who are asking, like, how do I know when I should write? Oh, it's interesting. I mean, if I was, you know, a VP of product, I'd probably ask all my product people on my team to write. Like, I think it's actually like a super helpful way, whether they're writing in a notebook or, mm-hmm. so it doesn't, I'm not ex- answering your question. I just, I sort of think that you, that it's always a good time to form your thoughts with writing and sort of have a point of view and think about that stuff. So, um, I think we're just bombarded with busyness every day. And I, I take a lot of uh, sort of comfort in setting aside 45 minutes in a day. Or A lot of times there's, t- this is another thing I'd say to people like, you have to strike a balance. It's like product in general. Like I ship the posts with typos. I ship the post with things that I wasn't quite proud of. And that that's the, that's the only way as a working person, as a full-time person until recently, like that's the only way I'm going to get it out there uh, to do it. So Is to do it in an imperfect manner. Just imperfect. Yeah. I used to play a lot of music and it was the same thing. If you're writing a song or something, like there's a great pleasure in just being like, I'm recording the song. That's it. Yeah. It's out there. Kind you know, of like this things. podcast. Yeah, kind yeah, of like, exactly. no, isn't that the beauty of podcasts? <laughs> I think the beauty of podcasts are you tough it out and you might cringe a little bit later on or laugh about it, but you've shipped it. It's, yeah, it's out right. there. Have you had any posts that contradicted something you had written however long ago and you just totally forgotten about I it? I have this, I have a couple trolls who are, <laughs> who are sort of coming after, they're, so this is what I figured out about Twitter in general. Like there are people who pride themselves on they, they are sort of coherence um, policemen. Like they actually pride themselves in their life on coherence. So, huh. you know, if you write something, they'll say, uh, that's not consistent with this tweet that you did last year. <laughs> that you did those things. Or, you know, they'll say, well, that article that you posted that talks about, you know, working with sprints like this doesn't do that thing. But I, I genuinely um, a- admire that level of being that detail oriented, so I kind of just go along with it. I think it's I think it's kind of funny. I think it's a really it. good sign. It was uh, your reach and like you've got people and like the fact that there's someone who's like this doesn't line up with what you said. I mean, nine I'm imagining ago. someone like imagine someone like Tim, Fer- you know, Tim Ferriss or you know yeah. Sam Harris. Like they must have so given their reach, right? Yeah, true. So let's say one percent of the population are coherence police. It's actually mark you know think about it from a product marketing standpoint. One yeah. percent are coherence police. One percent actually just like to make fun of you. Like they, yeah. they, anytime you get more popular, they will actually try even harder to make, because they just don't like it. They, they don't like what you're, you're saying. Popular. So imagine yeah. someone like Tim Ferriss must have like, cause his audience is like 20 million people must have 5% of the population yeah. fitting into those people. Like, he, so that must <laughs> be crazy. True. So like if I have like five of those people, that's like a big win. <laughs> so that's awesome. It's a good sign. That's fantastic. So let's talk about, um, the concept of a mini CEO. So, full disclosure, um, this is this, <laughs> this is a term. was really what we wanted to talk about. It is not really, but like, like look, I I really don't like this term yeah. for a whole bunch of reasons. But I understand that you have some feelings on it. I'd like to ask you, like what what your perspective is on that term. You know, I I, uh, I think that that term is just is just extremely specific to a certain type of company and a certain or startup basically in San Francisco basically yeah. you know it's like it's a very narrow or you know maybe more broadly now there's you know startups in other parts of the country obviously the United States but it it's driven from this idea that you know the this sort of the the CEO is sort of the chief product person too it's very but i think that it's damaging just taken out of context i don't i don't think it's uniquely damaging in context but i think that in the context where maybe most of us work 
I mean, we've got enough on our mind, and I can't fire anyone. Right. And I'm not responsible to the board. Right. Um, probably. I mean, a lot of VPs like actually like meet with the board and they present to the board. Sure. You know, or, or that level of person. So. I just think it also fuels this weird product cult of personality that happens that you see, and, and that I am allergic to that. What like, is that? The cult of personality. Yeah. So it, it's just this idea of like, and and if I paint the picture, you know, it's just this, um, you know, they they just, it it's always about their idea, it's always about the power of ideas. Like I've got this great idea, I've got this, you know, this. It's all about them hmm. as a product person. And not about the team and, and helping bring the team along with you for what you're doing. And you see this a lot in the Bay Area. And, like, people recruit, specifically, like, ex-startup CEO. They were the CEO of their startup. You yeah. know, five-person startup. And, like, this is the ultimate person who comes in and as their product person. Um, there's there's a book. I actually forget the name. Is like, I think it's called Chaos Monkeys about Facebook. But it talks a lot about these sort of, like, people who are accu-hired into Facebook to be mini-CEOs. Like, you've got this hmm. thing. And, and there's just something that rubs me the wrong way about it. Because I think what I love, I love, as a former musician, I mean, I still play music, but I love the creative process of a bunch of people making stuff together and feeling impact for their work and yeah. doing things like that. I, it's not, and when, like, a product person like that talks about my team, you know, everything's about them my team or my product and my thing like that I, it is really our team you know sure, it's something yeah, that absolutely. we're doing together so you know we all have our own like allergies so I think that's why I'm allergic to that and then frankly I think in like business to business software and other things and and slightly larger companies than a startup it's actually a toxic personality that causes information silos within that company you don't get a flow of information because you know, there's there's a lot of local optimization with someone who perceives themselves as, as a mini CEO. Yeah. Now, of course, the other thing you get about it is, you know, the apt analogy is someone's like, well, you're no Steve Jobs or no anything like that. But there's the best CEOs I know are masters. They're master leaders. They're master, you know, all these things. And it seems presumptuous of me for anyone to say that they're a mini of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. I know a lot of CEOs who I don't <laughs> like, who I don't think are that. But the be it almost does dishonor to the people. Like, do you know what it's like to have to fire? You know, twenty percent of your whole team, or fire, or pivot, or right. go back to a board. I was reading something the other day of the guy from uh, the CEO of Expedia who then joined Uber. That they like he mismeasured the economies of scale they'd get out of Expedia when they bought new companies. And he, he they, they, they figured they'd have run a common infrastructure across all those companies, but it killed the other companies. Like, they couldn't innovate. So yeah. you had to go back and ask the board for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now that... I haven't had to do that as part I haven't of had job. to do that as a product. <laughs> product. product so I just think it kind of just, it, it's, it's a little bit of a seep in from startup culture that, yeah. that especially as startup culture can get toxic in its own right. I think it sends the wrong message. I don't know about you guys, but that's I, where I'm coming from. And I got to, I got to also rant about something that you mentioned that's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> and it's something I need to get better at. So this is hardly <laughs> like me saying that I'm great at this, but we as product managers in particular, we internally within a company, we regularly stand up and present to the company what our team has been working on. Yeah. We often, I often fail to recognize the engineers that were did all of it. We don't contribute anything. We're just facilitators. Yeah. The designer, like all of it. I mean, and not just paying lip service, like saying, "Look, this person did this thing or did this whatever." Yeah. Um. Man, I, I had one of my engineers 
on the you team just, I'm on right now. You just did it. One of mine. Uh, one, right. Exactly. Oh, I, one, so there I go. One of my engineers. Well, he's on my he's, team. He's I know. It's the hard team that I'm on. Like, how do you say it? The team that I'm on. He, he um, did this great thing where he figured out how to make this download report so that yeah. columns would fit just right, so that users wouldn't have to resize columns when they download yeah. this Excel report. It was such a, like, a great, like, oh, this yeah. little tiny painful annoying thing that makes life exponentially better. And I'm like, I've got to make sure that he gets credit for that. Because yeah. like, I, I know I'm instinctively going to stand up and say, oh, look what we did. And I'm, we made it so this download report, now it resizes. And I'm like, no, I didn't actually You know do what that. the trick I have actually to get away from the my <clears throat> is just, you know, when yeah. teams have names too or the team. That's a good so, point. So, you know, like I'm going to give you an update the on team. the team. Um, or Team X, you know, or Team Vision. It's such a subtle thing, but you just say the team or, you know, every company has a Team Voltron, yeah. apparently, yeah. or, like, you come up with these funny names. So, like, it's that that's a good way. So here's an update on Voltron, you so, know, like that type of thing. So Jordan, good job on that download report. That was Jordan. And Jordan so here's my question, and this is one, right of the, one of the many reasons why I dislike that yeah. term, um, but is would Jordan, if, if, if you were considered the mini-CEO, John, or yeah. Josh, would you... Would Jordan have felt empowered to go do that? Or would he have been sitting there waiting for you to tell him what to do? Uh, and that's like, oh, yeah. I, I feel yeah. like it creates, you, you talked about this certain kind of like yeah. cult of personality kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's one aspect of it. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's just, it, it gives and sends the wrong signal to the rest of the organization. And it's not real. Yeah. It's not real. Like, yeah. you, to your point, I'm not going to have a, a massive budget. I'm not going to have to go to the board to ask for more money. I'm yeah. not going to have. So it's a, it's we don't fire people generally. You, you hear some also like from that. I, I would personify you know mini CO two is you'll hear. You know, I'm not sure. I think it also runs into how we might imagine sort of toxic CEOs too. So I think there's an overlap there. We were kind of which is probably why you shouldn't use the term because it just may not be that usable. But you'll hear a, a product manager talk about it, people like. You, you need to try to eke that work out of the team. You know, you need to just try to push, you're, you're there to draw the hard lines on these things. You're there to like, to, to do all this stuff. And it, th there's this sort of aggressive uh, subtext <laughs> to that about what you're trying, like you're trying to maximize the value from this, like their work. You know, depending on how you say it, I say that in a really negative way, but if I say, oh, your job there is to, no matter how you say it, it's all about optimization, maximization, you know, eking out everything you can from the team. And fr frankly, you know, the best teams I've been on just don't feel like that. It feels like a collaborative effort. It doesn't feel like, a, you know, it doesn't feel like, and, and I, you know, that, this whole the, the idea too of healthy tension, right? Healthy tension is an amazing thing when you've got a lot of creative people together contributing and exchanging ideas. Healthy tension is not, um, you know, a product manager going and disappearing into another part of the org and sort of fighting it out with three other people yeah. and then coming back to the team and saying, do this. That's yeah. not creative no, tension. No, that's certainly. that's like um, unhealthy tension. Sure. <laughs> so, I don't know, we, we go far from CEOs, <laughs> but I don't know why we pull it all together. But so we're just, talking about kind of about like what that role is for that product manager and yeah. um, kind of leads it to something you mentioned the, the other night in your your talk that ties in really well with what I've long felt that you're, you're talking about his, his talk at front, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, here at front, um, just yesterday. But I felt for a long time that product manager, if you boil it down, their job is really to make sure that the team is working on the most valuable problem. Yeah. Agree, disagree. Yeah, and I think that, and to extend beyond that, like, so I see this as a progression. There's people who just don't even believe in that, right? They are like, well, the, I, I mean, I've done job interviews, PM job interviews, where I they, someone said, okay, now you're going to pick up a pen and start drawing stuff. 
I, I actually said in the middle of the interview, I was like, I think that you hire some of the best designers in the world. I, I would actually just try to leverage them for this thing. And they're like, well, we need to know if you have the sense, are you going to have the... You're going to have the eye, you know, or you're going to have all these things. So, huh. so there's definitely cultures where the, you know, it's, it is about output. You, you know, you're handing the thing to do to the team. Then there's a thing which I would say it's kind of like a 50-50 thing where we generally agree that it's problem focused, but how we cast a problem is the problem is to finish this project on time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or the problem is that, so I tried to talk about that um, during the workshop where it is a spectrum. One thing I've noticed, though, is sometimes you just have to do something. You have to do X. What I started to notice on teams is that teams would get angry that they were just being told to do X. But as I started to dig, what I realized is the problem wasn't they were being asked to do X. It was that no one was explaining the impact of X. Why they were supposed to do why it. Why they were doing it. Yeah. And so what I realized is in a lot of teams where you see, like, the engineering, engineering especially will say, your job is to tell us the, like, you're not supposed to tell us how. You're, you know, these sort of very rigid, especially in Agile, you know, the product owner says the in Scrum, like the project owner's product owner says this, the team owns this, we draw the line like this. A lot of that is treating this as a trust, a trust proxy. You know, it's kind of like creating process as a, as a proxy for trust. What yeah. you really want on a team is, you know what, sometimes you just got to build it. Sometimes yeah. you just got to ship it and everyone knows that. But the team is so eager to preserve their autonomy and there no one's explaining the impact of their work that they prefer to say, well, you just got to give us the problem. Yeah. We're going to come up with a solution. We're like, we just talked about the solution. Everyone knows the solution. You don't need to beat the dead horse here. We got to do things. So that's another thing I've noticed. It's beyond the problem-solution dichotomy. It's about impact. And it's about respecting the craft of the people on the team that you're with and knowing that you don't have the best ideas. If you can get over that, then then the sort of like, you know, it's common to talk about out, outcomes over output and problems over solutions. And I think people grasp that intellectually. And then when they put it in practice, it still feels a little weird. So I would say that, you know, the, the next level shiz is that we... <laughs> Welcome to Utah, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> the next, yeah, that, yeah, I'm getting it, um, is to say is to say, you know, like, fleck it, fetch fetch it, fetch it, we've got to ship it. And this is, this is why it's going to be, you know, this, this is the impact. And, and a great exercise I actually do with teams is that they, they imagine what the outcome is going to look like maybe over the coming months. Yeah. And they put a stake in the ground and say, even if we've moved on to the next quote unquote project, we're going to present back to the whole company where this effort ended up three months into the thing. So does that kind of help? Like, I think that I think so. it's, yeah. um, I would also say, like, I, I liked your presentation as well. I'm thinking about the metrics stuff. And I thought that often we use metrics as trust proxies as well. And, you know, where the team is like, I don't trust anything we're doing, you know, uh, tr it, or even, even the value, like trust, but verify often means verify, verify, verify. And I don't really trust you. Yeah. So I found even the, the metric stuff, sometimes finding the right framework, the right causal relationship diagram for your company is an experiment in itself. You're never going to get it right. You're going to find that that one metric that you thought was great. Ah, it wasn't what you thought yeah. it was. So you're yeah. going to need trust. Even if you have data, you're going to need trust because yeah. it's not always, and the, the businesses most of us are in, if we're operating with 100% confidence, we're probably not in a very high growth business. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. So yeah. you, you'll go into situations where the data is giving you 50% confidence, and that's better than zero. 
Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. We're getting yeah. into impact and stuff, but I, I love no, this. No, no, stuff. this is good. <laughs> and I, I wanted to keep like exploring like the role um, and pet peeves about the role now open-ended yeah. stuff. So obviously my big pet peeve is like that the product manager is a project manager or that no, your job is to figure out what's the most valuable problem yeah. for the team to work on and make sure we're all still focused on that. Yeah. The mini CEO, we hate yeah. that one. What what other like stuff about the role of product manager do we hate? Oh, this is the hate. What do we love? <laughs> this is the no no no. We got to get we got to get all the hate stuff the hate. out of the way. Um, uh, but was, just we stuff that people before, say like about the, our role. The facilitation stuff. You know, you mentioned facilitation in the beginning, but one one thing that I've seen. Uh, so I will describe a dynamic, and I think it impacts a lot of young product managers too. And it does talk about skills and even some of the tools that we have and other things that we're doing. Is that what you get is. You get, you get a young product manager thrown into an entirely nebulous role. They're being asked to facilitate, they're being asked to do UX research, they're being asked to do everything under the sun, right? They're not gonna be good at all those things. And some of those things they shouldn't be doing. You shouldn't have to, you can be a participant on the team during a retrospective. Like, it's hard to facilitate and do that thing. And PMs are told, you know, to kind of have the stiff upper lip and, you know, work with the team and do all that stuff. And so what I find in the career trajectories for a lot of PMs is that we're killing junior PMs by throwing them in, like throwing them off the deep end. Which they have to manage up, they have to manage sideways, they have to manage the customers. And I've been in a position where I've been coaching those. So, so part of what I'm doing now is actually doing some coaching. And I'll be coaching a lot of the junior PMs on a team because the VP is spending all their time managing up. So yeah. no one has time, and so I'll just be working with the basics for the team. And I, I have to say, you know, I feel for them because they're just being thrown off the deep end. So one of my pet peeves is the amount of expected learning, contextual learning within that company, and the amount of learning opportunities that PMs get given to grow, instead of just being like, oh, junior PM, we have just come on in, and if you sink or swim. Hmm. You What's, know, six years it, later, they're not a PM anymore because they don't like doing it. Right. What, what should a junior PM learning experience look like? Yeah, that's that's, and I actually think it starts out without being a PM. Like, I think that an apprentice model, my personal preference would be an apprentice model where you're not the PM of the team. You're working. So I think that like a qualified director of product or a senior product manager can, if they're not spending too much time managing up and they can actually mentor people, they can, they can oversee a lot of capacity, three, four teams even. You know, yeah. they can do a lot. Now imagine that person with one or two apprentices working underneath, underneath, underneath them or whatever, side by side them. Yeah. Now the whole idea there is instead of being thrown off the deep end, it's much more about giving them very specific things. Like for this month, it's all about customer interviews. And so like it's funny with these junior PMs that I'm coaching, it's mostly like January is going to be the 100 customer interview month end of month, 100 customer interviews, and I put out an agreement from their VP, or their, their director, yeah. that they're allowed to spend that much time out of every week just learning how to do calls, learning how to get on the phone. So to me, that, I mean, I'm biased, because that's what I'm doing, but that's what I see as a more productive junior PM experience, instead of being, you know, oh, we, you're talented in this field, we're just gonna take a shot on you by throwing you off the deep end and then see what happens. Right into <laughs> all of the yeah. chaos that we, we deal with every day. Totally, yeah. yeah. So this other, this other thing that I absolutely hate while we're on topics of things that we hate yes. is it's amazing what people call products. So, you know, like 
and also what they call the customer internally. Like sometimes you have internal customers and... Okay, like internal customers or internal products. Yeah, and it, yeah. well, but even then, like you'll have things. So for example, I'll give you an example. Is you have this, this massive product. Like a lot of the, the, the products we're working on in software as a service now are massive. They've got many, many touch points. They've got many different things. And so you'll start to see things like the, like the mobile PM. Now, which is interesting because you do need domain knowledge about mobile, but but they are the product manager of mobile. Now, if you ask then, but all the other teams are having to try to access this person's expertise, right? So if you imagine like a model that starts with actors who are the human beings and then goes to goals, so actors have goals, they try to access those goals at touch points where we try to help them in our products. Even yep. below touch points, they have interfaces. And you know, now like you have interfaces that are shared between products. like. The mobile view is sharing the same view that the web view is, that type of thing, or an API is used in multiple different places. And then you have all your technical resources involved in making the company work. And so one thing that you tend to see, though, is you tend to see the company structuring themselves around what they call a product, which might be mobile or one of the touch points or yeah. one of the interfaces because that's a very convenient way to structure the company. Yeah. But what you start to lose there is this whole idea of connecting with actors and their goals. So an example, I, I worked at Zendesk. So Zendesk is a good example. You have a, you have someone like an agent, right? Like an agent, a support agent using many, many different touch points across Zendesk. So re really what was in high demand, my friend Myra, who's an amazing PM there, she started to actually fashion herself as the agent experience expert. And that was a role she was trying to evolve into the company because originally she was PM, you know, PM of the support product, again, to do those things. So, yeah. And so I think that what you tend to see now is in, in rental products and software as a service and in banks and other things that are trying to adopt more product-oriented thinking, they're, they're more resembling like service design. Like you just can't put it in a box by telling a team, you know, you just worry about this one little box and everything will be okay. And what, what my pet peeve is you lose the essence of what the actors need, right? You, you, you forget about who the real customer is. Yeah. And especially with internal products like... Um, I, I get a lot of calls about, you know, how can we adopt product thinking in our, for our internal products? And I, the first thing I say is, A, don't think of them as products as much as you want to call them products because that's what's going to give you a seat at the table. So by all means, use the word product to get a seat at the table, but then let's just stop using the word product. And then, <laughs> and then second, um, imagine that always have every single person on that team. If you are writing tools for developers to deploy more quickly, know that they're deploying more quickly so that you can release stuff so that you can get to, cus to the customer, the user out there in the world, the human being out there in the world. Because you see, actually, um, a friend of mine, Josh, mentioned a great thing. Like at Starbucks, they call all their employees partners. You know, so like that's that you're, you have partners within your company that are helping you in this thing. So that's a person in DevOps. To me, to me, DevOps is as much the product, in quotes, as the UX designer sure, doing yeah. these particular things. And in fact, a lot of internal tools could benefit from UX, mm -hmm. you know, so they need that. So part of this is like value stream mapping and a lot of it goes back to lean stuff and service design. But I think that what I'm noticing is that, again, everyone is so eager to get that seat at the table. And it used, you know, UX went through this thing too, where everyone, UX wants a seat at that table. Yes. So now what you see is you see a lot of UX folks calling themselves product designers. 
because you know what UX sounded too much like the frills it sounded too much like the visual stuff yeah okay so now I'm a product designer well now yeah. I got the season. so what I want to I hate to break it to everyone but in five ten years we're not gonna be talking about products the same way we're gonna be talking about them we're gonna be very much in the exp like customer journey you yeah. know like uh, you know, Nate from Plural Side Rothers, he's, he's on the forefront of thinking about what it means as a full customer experience. You know, the, the, the chief experience officer, that's what you're going to start seeing those types of things. So anyway, it's just a, it's a pet peeve because I think to move the, I think the word product gets us in more trouble sometimes than it's worth. Yeah. Especially if you have like six teams and you're like, guys, we're all working on the same damn thing. Let's not have a fiction here about, uh, you know, let's not have a fiction about what the product is or make up product. We don't have six backlogs here. We have one backlog and it only has outcomes on it. It doesn't have features on it. And everyone here is contributing to make that happen. And it's, it's, that's the way to do it. And it, it's a, it is a pet peeve of mine when people make this way too complicated. So I, I have to go here, uh, and it's a great segue. So you brought up features. Uh, you're the guy who wrote the Feature Factory article. Oh, that, yeah, I am the Feature That is, oh, man, I'm the Feature Factory guy. We want to hear what was the genesis of this. Okay, what, so what, the, the genesis was this. Um, I write on Medium, and I got a message from Medium that said, you're going to participate in a user research study, and I had to download this app. So I got the app. And I'm doing diary studies every day, like my name's John and I'm doing this. And, and I start to develop a kind of like humorous monologue with the UX researchers from Medium where I say, look, my number one pet peeve, I hate writing titles with numbers in it. You know, I've got, I, I would say to them as I'm writing like every day, I'd be like, look at this, this is the coolest title, it's so literary, it's amazing. And then I'd say, and then the next day I'd be like, see, 10 views, you know, and then I'm like, well, so the, the Feature Factory article was me like talking on the camera to Medium and saying, you see, I'm going to show this. I'm going to show you what I mean. Yeah. I'm going to write something that, I'm being honest here, I'm going to write something that just comes straight from my gut that just releases the pure visceral angst of product <laughs> management in its most pure form. And I I'm picture gonna, you like yelling yeah, at your computer gonna, as you're typing. I'm going like, to set the timer for 20 minutes. I'm going to set the timer for 20 minutes because it's going to be so easy. But then I'm going to come back and then we're going to check in tomorrow and I'm going to show you that it gets more views because I thought it's not going to get 10 views. It will get like a thousand. Well, whatever. At that time, it might have been. It's not going to get 100 views. It's going to get a thousand views. Maybe. Yeah. Because I thought that a number in the title is worth 10x. That was my argument. So I do that and I go into like, you know, I go on my, you know, I get coffee and then do a sort of seance and then I release the, like, the product management angst into the 12 points. Yeah. And then, um, then so then the next day, I'm like, all right, guys, yeah, like, see. And then, of course, you know, it was at 1,000. And I was like, ah, oh, I proved my point to you guys. Like, <laughs> this is fine. Like, uh, now you see what I mean? Like, as a user, I actually was joking with them, like, as a user, I want confidence that I can use a creative title without it having a large detriment on the number of people who can read the article. And then the next day, it went up, and it went up, and it went up, and it went yeah. up, and then that became my running joke, like, thing. So it was actually like a, um, I wish there was a, like, a, I mean, there was a sort of, like, you know, product seance or whatever sure. part of it, but it was also the, um, like, to prove a point about usability of titles because the numbers do help and so I yeah. got I actually do the the numbers and the titles as almost a joke now 
I'll do like 72 reasons why X or, and <laughs> I, I've gone I've up to, this. I've gone up to a hundred, I think I did like 110, you know, uh, things I, I get stressed about or with product, you know, I, like I go to the extreme. Yeah. The sweet spot seems between seven and 12 though. Once I get to the forties and fifties and seventies, it doesn't, that's me just laughing not, not, inside. Not many people reading at that point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, well uh, yeah, still? the reading rates. Yeah, you still get a lot of people read those with the numbers. Anyway. Really, people wow. people want a step by step, or there is some set of people who like a step by step. Um, and and the longer I do make it, I have my diehards who get to the end of those articles and remark on this. But you do lose a lot of people. Like you, yeah. you. Um, my advice to like break up vertical space with pictures because people don't are so. It's actually one of the other things I was thinking about product too. Like we're, we get, we're bombarded with so much information. It's not for a lack of information. There's, you know, t- even at this conference, you know, there's tons of great information out there. It's the time in the day we have to actually do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I try to like sometimes make ones that are a little shorter and, and other things because we're, there's so much overload on Twitter and all these things that people aren't processing anymore. Like everyone's attention span, I think, has really Shut gone down. down so. yeah. Well, that article on Feature Factory, that floated around at Hiring View. Right, yeah. it, it was it was a great. It, it cost some. Everybody was reading. I got a lot of calls. We, we had a lot of great like, introspection. Did you write, like I hadn't talked to you for a while. Like, did you write that thing? Because it's on Slack. But you know, so the question. So I've done talks on that, and we can I can share a link after this particular uh, yeah. podcast. On yeah. I think I actually I like crystallized it. I got it. My last talk that I did that was feature factory related. I've done about four of them at the moment, but I really started to sum it up that it's really about we. Our product software is mutable. It allows you to change it. And with that comes incredible power. And then with the types of products we have now, incredible complexity. And you're adding complexity in those things. The traditional, you know, 30 years ago, project management was talking about what they called benefits realization. The the feature factory Hmm. is not new. Like projects, it was the same thing. But there was nothing you could do about it. So you'd be in a company, there's actually a role called the benefits realization manager. Really? And the benefits realization manager, the BRM, would be the one who, once the project was completed and it had to be funded all at once because that's the only way you could get the money and people weren't, the tools didn't lend themselves to working in an agile way and we weren't working in an agile way at that point, big projects were the only way that they were going to happen, right? So the need for impact has always been there. It's not some deep, dark conspiracy by the business or the exact, you know, like everyone wants to know that stuff had impact for the business. It's been that we've been largely constrained by short-termism because that's how we've been constrained in our project. And so the, the sort of positive spin I put on it is, oh my God, what an amazing opportunity we have. Like we work in worlds now with software where, um, you know, quick story, I have a friend and he went in and they, were, they had to estimate some they were asked to estimate some new data science thing. So the team estimated at 40 weeks and they were trying to get the money together for the company. And then he jumped in there and said, like, I think that we can make money in three days. And everyone thought they were crazy. He's like, actually, let's just hire people to field the requests because we know they can respond in under two minutes and then we'll get figure out the data science part of it. And they were like making money in three days. And and think about how lucky we are to be able to work that way. Like how cool is that? But it takes a while for companies to catch up. And so now, you know, benefits realization for things. Still most companies think we ship it and then we'll see whether it worked out and measure the impact. And I would say, you know, the people who are doing it right are the ones who are measuring the impact while they're working on it. 
Yeah. You know, it's kind of, but but I don't want to beat people up by that and think that there's a right or wrong way because it's a it's largely dictated by technology and how our companies are changing. So. Yeah. John, this has been a fantastic yeah, conversation. Yeah, I've, I've had so much fun. We've really the setting is amazing. We're watching, you know, people jump off of things. And yeah, yeah. He's talking about the skiers, like, not the people jumping off like something bad. But well, the skiers. there are people getting in bobsleds. I can there see a bob USA bobsled. Yeah. So this has been, yeah, this has been amazing. Where can people find you? Uh, Twitter is good. Like I said, that that fire hose of information makes it hard. I can't keep up with LinkedIn or those other particular things. So okay. um, that's good. Or uh, you know, Medium. Like check medium, out the. Sure. Just yeah. type in John Cutler product. That's pretty much what you need to do to find the medium stuff. Okay. Um, and I'm going to be speaking at a conference called Lean Agile in February and then doing South by Southwest, like a, a talk on product leadership in SaaS uh, business to business stuff. And that's going to be my first South by Southwest thing. If you're there, awesome. check that out. But, you know, I, you know, get in touch. I, I like jumping on the phone anytime um, right. chatting about this stuff. Great. Have fun in Austin. That'll be awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's going to do it for this podcast. As always, thank you, everybody. The movies for are better here in Park City, of course. Yes, yes, they, they are. are. <laughs> Please subscribe to We Need Another Meeting on your favorite podcast app. And check us out on weneedanothermeeting.com. Thank you, everybody.